Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 118 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. I'm Bobby Chesman. I'm Steve Vladek. We are, we are recording before the Mueller report comes out. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Uh, I guess there's a chance there will be so many surprises tomorrow that we would emergency podcast, but I'm not betting on big surprises. Plus, we'll be recovering from our axe throwing. <laughs> That's right. Uh, axe throwing, you say? Is this some sort of Game <laughs> of Thrones uh, Homage. simulation? Although, do they, does anyone, I guess I guess Gundry did make an axe. Uh, he made a big axe, and and I do believe, uh, you know, well, you know, spoiler alert, I guess. We don't want to give too okay, far now. Yes, I'm sure the people who have not yet seen episode one are going to be like... Someone could have been traveling. No, no, I'm, I'm saying, but I'm sure that, like, revealing that one of the things that happens in the episode is that Gendry makes an axe. Yeah, fair point. I think point. that's not exactly yeah, if you like care a enough to oh, mind-blown <laughs> spoiler. I'll, say, I'll save my comment on who, get, who gets an axe to the face until later. Indeed. Um, all right, so we will spin frivolity today, of course, oh, reviewing yes. no, episode no, there is, one. There is some frivolous thrones discussion coming down the pike. Frivolous thrones would be a good name for the episode. Indeed. Um, Ooh. On substance, yes. we have a... Susta- so you <laughs> said, so Bobby said on Saturday, the last time we recorded, you know, maybe we'll hear from one of our sustaining members again. And boy, did we hear loudly from sustaining member Nashiri. Indeed. Uh, the D.C. Circuit has ruled, and it is a doozy. We're going to spend most of our time, I suspect, talking about that. Uh, the what? Latest- no. Yes. I'm sh- <laughs> you, you, we, we both have things to say about this? Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm shocked. Uh, someone, it- someone emailed me today and said, I, I don't know if you've seen this yet. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always, always appreciate that. We, you know, colleagues will send stuff your way, and, you know, Sometimes it is n- novel. Okay, yes. I've written 3,500 words and like <laughs> 20 tweets in the last 24 hours about this, but whatever. Yeah. Let me Google that for you while yeah. I'm at it. Indeed. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? I've never sent the... Hev- Let me Google that I've, I've done you. it. It's pretty great. Yes. Okay. Uh, so listeners, what else? If, if you don't know, right, if someone sends you a question that they could have just looked up on Google, there's a website called Let Me Google That For You that will send them a custom link that basically when they click on it, it takes them to Google, it types in for them the query they could have just as easily Googled, and it returns the top result. That's pretty awesome. Um, you know, we could probably conduct our research to support this show that way. Indeed. Maybe All right. we should. Um, what so, else? But we, have, we, have th- we actually have three topics before our Thrones frivolity. That's right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the latest goings-on in the cross-border shooting cases before the Supreme Court. We had some real action in those cases over the last week, um, action that I think is going to potentially um, – ruin is not the right word, but lead me to a very busy summer. Yeah, imagine that, because you were going to have such a relaxing, quiet summer otherwise. I would have had other things to do. Well, now you got this bonus. Indeed. Um, bonus. Then, then the third topic um, is, I would follow this under the heading of surveillance and privacy. It relates to our ongoing discussions relating to Carpenter and its impact on the third-party doctrine. Um, but it's more, it's, it's really about the things other than the law that play into that. And we're going to build around the uh, story about law enforcement agencies getting access to location data uh, from Google. And I will just say, just just in case I, I exclaim suddenly and apparently unrelated to the show while we're recording today, um, it is the Champions League quarterfinal, um, the second leg between Man City and my Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, uh, is that why you wore uh, the colors today? I actually, I, I, not on purpose, yeah. but sure. So um, I will join you in supporting the Hotspurs because they are, of course, the Spurs. And by the transitive property of fandom, by coined tr- by Bobby Chesney. Transitive property of fandom. When I say go Spurs, go about the San Antonio Spurs, of course, I also can find space in that to support Tottenham. Anyway, all this is to, to say that, first of all, listeners, you should be really pleased that I'm so devoted to you that rather than actually watching this game, I'm yeah. here recording our podcast. <laughs> but you do have one eye. I do have one eye on the score. Yeah. It is currently 4-2 City in the 68th minute. Um, Spurs won the first leg 1-0 at Tottenham. Um, so it's four three on aggregate. Um, if the look at you with your your lingo. If if Spurs score one more goal, even though they'll be down four three in this game, they'll uh, be ahead on away goals. Yeah, I, as as a person not as familiar as you are with in soccer of any kind, um, I'm sort of amazed by the whole aggregate approach. Do they ever use that like in hockey or anything? No, that's that's a soccer specific deal. I think so. So I can almost hear the listeners saying football. Okay, football specific. <laughs> football. Anyway, so um, there's you know. Uh, 20 minutes of time left. There, since since um, the score is what it is, there's no possibility of extra time because so if the if the if the legs flip perfectly and you're even on away goals, then you play extra time, um, right? So if the total score and the away goals are even, so it's like one nil and one nil, 
then you play extra time. But here, either Spurs are going to be ahead on away goals or oh, right. yeah. City's going to be ahead on aggregate. Ooh, this is exciting. All right, you keep us posted as the show goes. Go, come on, you Spurs. Go Spurs, go. That's what we say. Well, come on, you Spurs is what the... Oh, is that right? The across the pond Spurs say. Come on, they say, come on, you Spurs. Uh-huh. C-O-Y-S. Hashtag C-O-Y-S. Can I change it to come on, y'all Spurs? That feels weird. That feels weird. Um, so, speaking of coming on, you Spurs, come on, you DC Circuit. Well, they... they <laughs> Boy, did they. <laughs> Boy, did they. All right. Um, where to begin? Uh, uh, where is to it, begin? Is it fair to say that the 10-layer dip just had some layers slight, slopped off of it? Or I think just th- they're going to start cooking it all over again? I think the 10-layer dip just got thrown into the garbage. And there, But there's a new plate on the table, and they're going to well, start... we might have to start building some more dip. All right. So, let's just remind people first who are not obsessive military commission watchers like you and I are, where we actually were. So... Um, this was this is now the fourth mandamus petition to reach the DC Circuit in Alan Shiri's case. Um, this one is on the specific question of whether Judge Spath should have been disqualified from presiding over pretrial proceedings in Alan Shiri's case while he was actively and ultimately successfully pursuing a position as an immigration judge in the Justice Department. Um, we've talked about this before. Um, the DC Circuit also had her argument the same day in In Ray Spears which was more proximate to the 10-layer dip, um, whether the civilian defense lawyers who had withdrawn from the case when all hell broke loose um, were legally entitled to do so, even though Spath had said otherwise. And so we got decisions in both of those cases yesterday, although the second one just sort of followed from the first. And for those who don't follow this closely, it's easy to imagine that maybe this period when the judge started seeking and soliciting an immigration judge appointment um, was a relatively brief period in comparison to the litigation. But Nope. Not so much. Nope. Um, I don't know. Do you have the number of total ruling, just written rulings? Issue? I think it's quoted in the opinion. There's a couple point. dozen. Uh, it, Is it more than that? I know. So there, there were hundreds. So there were, of there were hundreds rulings. of overall rulings, yeah. and I think dozens of written rulings, yeah. including a series of interlocutory appeals to the CMCR, which we'll talk about. All right. So yep. in a nutshell, just to, to sort of spoil the punchline, um, the DC Circuit threw just about all of it out. I mean, they didn't like go back to square one. But they went back to about square 1.6. 1.6 out of like 100 squares. Right. So basically it's a, in a... It was a huge win for the defense. And a huge body blow, I think, to the commissions. And we'll talk about this. So um, in a 31-page opinion for a unanimous panel, and I think that's really important. Because yep, Griffith Judge joined. Judge Griffith joined. And just... You and know, Rogers. Um, not less surprising. If, yeah, if, yes. you, if you don't know your D.C. Circuit judges, I mean, I don't think Judge Griffith is, you know, far to the right, right, but he is certainly more to the right. He'd been more deferential specifically in these kinds of cases yes, before. Yes, indeed. Which and I know you're going to talk about some more in a minute. That's okay. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's fair to say he is a judicial conservative, but maybe not a conservative who's a judge. Um, right? That, that like, I think, I think I've heard him use the same terminology That's actually, that's a nice way to put it. Um, okay. So the fact that he joins us without, and, and you and I had talked when we talked about the argument preview and the argument recap that we thought the real question was not whether Nishiri was going to win, but whether Griffith was going to sign on and just how much he'd sign on to. All right. Um, to make a long story short, Judge Tatel, in an opinion that, I don't know if you had this reaction, Bobby, to me it drips with frustration and exasperation and not anger, but just like what the WTF question mark so exclamation I noticed point. something you, you maybe you tweeted about uh, the biting. You, you'd framed it very as if it had a hard edge. It's funny because I agree that I agree sort of without reference to the emotional tone of it, but I read the emotional tone differently. To mm-hmm. me, it read almost like shockingly bemused. Like, are you serious? Is this really what happened? Did it's take? Did this really happen? Right. I can't believe this really happened, and I and especially I cannot believe that so far everyone else has acted like this was okay. So the second part. I, so I actually think that to me, so it's weird to be both stunned and not surprised, right? And that was those were the emotions I had reading this opinion because I was not at all surprised by the result. I was stunned at just how much Tatel said um, about. I don't want to call it misconduct, but conduct he found not becoming um, yeah. of lots of actors in this case, not just yeah. Judge and he, go, and he goes, maybe the most interesting part of the opinion, because he didn't have to include this, but he's trying to send a signal here that this is not okay what everyone did. 
Um, he intentionally goes on after describing Spath's misconduct. Which he, and, by the way, describes in stunningly, like, yeah. he lays out the narrative in a way that I think is compelling. Well, it's very, and it's a very easy read, by the way. If you, if you, A lot of times we describe these cases, and they're no fun to read. This one's a quick and easy read, despite, and it's not long. Because most of the opinion is actually the facts. That's right, and the facts, and the facts are just kind of compelling, because you're like, wait, are you serious? Come right. on. And there's one point where it's like, you know, um, why might Judge Spath have been distracted? Well, yeah, that it, afternoon. It's kind of got a little <laughs> bit of that, that 9-11 commission report yes. style narrative. Yes. Yes, yes. It sort of recognizes that there's there's some rhetoric to the story. Can here. I read the passage you're referring Please to? Please do. Because yeah. um, I, ha- I I thought this was a stunning passage to see in a judicial opinion. So this is on page 28 of the majority opinion. Um, and Tatel writes... Is this the lack of, due di- of diligence? Yes. Yeah, yeah, is- Although a principle so basic to our system of laws should go without saying, we nonetheless feel compelled to restate it plainly here. Criminal justice is a shared responsibility. Yet in this case... Save for Al Nashiri's defense counsel. It's interesting that he like he says, other than the defense lawyers, all elements of the military commission system, from the prosecution team to the Justice Department to the CMCR to the judge himself, failed to live up to that responsibility. Oof. That I mean, I, you don't see that every day. You do not see that every. And and, and I think what Tatel is reacting to here is. Um, his frustration, and I think it is frustration, that the only reason why this factual narrative was even available was because of Carol Rosenberg's successful FOIA request that the government had initially, you know, basically scoffed at the discovery request on the ground that it was based on completely unsubstantiated assertions. Yeah, that's really problematic. I mean, it has it has manifestly been so for a while, and it's not a surprise to me that the circuit would come down like a ton of bricks. Um, you know, all this just further illustrates my longstanding claim that the CMCR does nothing but delay things, and, and if anything, cause problems. I mean, you um, know, I'm, I agree with that. But so, so just to sort of um, not 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 miss the actual holding. So the actual holding of the opinion um, is that Spath's conduct gives rise at least to the appearance mm-hmm. of partiality. Tatel expressly refuses to decide. That's right. He goes out of his way at one point to say these out, these rulings might have all come out the same way anyways, that totally. but it doesn't matter. What The question is appearance. That's right. Um, by the way, Spurs just scored. It's 4-3. Oh. Um, um, so um, he says it's the appearance of partiality. And given all of this, and he says, given the fact that Spath did not come clean and did not disclose and did not tell anybody this was going on, he, he, uh, Tatel says, the, of course, he, he says, you know, it's not always clear where the line is, but this case is so far on the wrong side of the line that not only is it clear that, that, that um, Spath should be disqualified, but even under our D.C. Circuit demanding standard for mandamus yeah. relief, Yes. It is clear beyond any doubt. He describes it as, as an easy case. Which, um, by the way, easy yeah. under mandamus. Under mandamus, right. Exactly. No, it's a double, it's sort of a, a magnified effect. There. And, and, and that it's that passage, Bobby. It's that passage, and it's the passage I quoted, where the fact that Griffith joins the majority opinion in its entirety with no separate opinion, I think, speaks ways. Because those are the places where I'm, those two and then yeah. one other, the remedy, right. which could I want to talk about. Could have toned it down. And, right, or, or he might have objected to some of the insinuations. or you know, He might have said, it's a closer case to me. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, but he I didn't. nonetheless find it's close enough to, right. yeah. Um, now, on the remedy, we had talked about this, right? So um, Nashiri's lawyers had basically asked for the whole case to be thrown out and start over. Um, the, you know, as we talked about, the oral argument really drilled down on exactly short of that where it might be. Right. Um, and basically, Tatel goes just about, not all the way back to the beginning of the trial, but basically pretty far back to the moment Spath starts applying for the position, which is, I think, what, November of 2015? It, seem, it seems like exactly the right moment. From that moment, the, the potential for taint is there. Uh, going earlier, I think, when we talked about this before, I said I wouldn't go back earlier because I don't see how there can be retroactive taint before the actual issue even arose. But, but once the issue arose, boy, there it is. Um, along the way, by the way, I found the number of, of orders that were written orders. Mm. Uh, the government advises us that Spath, quote, issued approximately 460 oh, whoops. written orders. Whoops, I blew that one. That's in addition to the oral rulings from the bench. This is, I mean, it's really... But it's not just that. It's also the CMCR opinions. There are, right, there are, there's, what, four? F- at least four published CMCR opinions yeah. that now get completely, in, including the massively important one about the abatement, right, right that now just get completely right. wiped off you the You vacate books. the original object of those appeals, and of course, like some sort of, you know, timeline disruption, the uh, the later on things just disappear uh, 
Back to the future, from back the to the future style. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so uh, is there anything else you want to say about the opinion? I, I want to talk about some of the implications. Yeah, no, I think I think that you know we could unpack it further, but I'm not sure what the point is. It actually does seem to be a pretty easy case. I, I do think. I mean, I, I would love for folks. to, I mean, you know, I don't always say this. Folks should read this opinion. I mean, I, I think and it's not just because of what comes at the end. I think you know. Tatel tells the story, as you say, in a way that's very accessible, um, in a way that's like 9-11 commission reporting narrative. But it's also just like, I don't know how you read this, you know, factual narrative and understand what the hell anybody was doing. Right. right? I don't, I don't. I don't under- well, the whole thing bespeaks of a larger, you know, who knows what it is, but larger systematic issues that are that are gen- Issues like this shouldn't arise so this in is, an ordinary, well-developed system. So these are the two things I want to talk about. So let's talk about what happens next for al-Nashiri, and then mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Larger what this means for the military commissions. Yeah. So for al-Nashiri, I mean, I assume – so first, could the government challenge this ruling? I mean, they could try. So yeah. you could try for rehearing on Bonk in the D.C. Circuit, but without Judge Griffith. I have no idea how you get to yeah. the record number of votes. Um I have no – if I'm the Solicitor General, I don't want to file a cert petition in this well, case over my burn, dead body. Burn a little bit of credibility. Well, and like you really want to tell the Supreme you, – you want to expose the Supreme Court to not only the substance of what went wrong here, but the government's you know, litigation conduct. I mean, they'll be aware anyways. But, um, but there's, there's they aware. Listen, they all listen to this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, but there's aware and then there's like, you know, deciding on a cert petition. No, that I the know. I know. No, look, I, I think that there's no way any of the professionals want this taken up further. Um, this, this is a bad beat and it's time to just take it and go from there. And start over. Uh, or not over, but like almost right. over. I mean, they're going to have to rewind the clock pretty far back right. in this case. Now, we could have a conversation at this point about like, what ought to happen in a properly functioning, you know, good government kind of perspective system? Um, but let's first talk about what's going to happen. So, I mean, I, I assume that once the Solicitor General tells whoever wants to pursue this further that it's not going to happen, um, that we will see efforts made to – I, I don't know if we have the third new judge appointed yet, but certainly to, to identify a, a clean judge – um, it's like a clean team for judges. And, and I think, and realistically, I think the judge's first job oh. is going to have to be to figure out exactly what, you know, if Wait, we rewind is, the clock. Is there any, is there any problem, uh, immigration judge type problem with the currently appointed judge? I thought, so had they, I, I, I thought I, they've I, already switched to the third judge. Oh, maybe they have. Yeah, okay, yeah. Then, then I'm just, I'm just misremembering because yeah, yeah. I'm really tired. Um, so... That's possible. But so whoever this is now has a, a rather Herculean task. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, by the way, you thought you were here in the process? Rewind the clock right. way back. So so I think it's going to take some time to sort of um, pull off all the Band-Aids and see where we are. And then they're just going to have to do all this stuff again. Yeah. I, we're going to need a status conference, folks. <laughs> I'd like the status submission. conference to end all oh, status yeah. conferences. I'd like submissions on the proper order and sequence. Now that we've lived through this once, what are the issues that we know we got to litigate? And which ones can be made to go away so we don't have to go back down the same well, path? And so this is why the sort of the 10-layer dip thing. Like, I wonder if the new judge – so so this is where yeah. the two things the new judge bleed can together. Say, I just want two layers. Well, so this is where the new – the two – I think the two forward-looking things bleed together, which is – I don't know about you. I read some of the rhetoric in Tatel's opinion as being about more than the specific issue in this case. Um, And as basically saying, military commissions, guys, don't forget that you have obligations to the defendants and you have obligations to sort of the rule of law separate and above, right, your prosecutorial and judging obligations. Um, I I have no doubt that there's sort of a a larger shot across the bow. I don't know that I perceive it as being intended with anything general, less than a, a general observation in mind. Um, but once again, right, a military commission decision has fared very poorly oh, when yeah. subjected to Article Three review. No, no question. Look, it's, it's a it's a giant body blow rhetorically, optically, and all the rest. As, as you pointed out in, I think, your Just Security post, there is this, even if it's all easy for you and I to sit here and say, like, you know, they ought to just get federal prosecutors involved. Almost every week on this show, we do the National Security Division Roundup. How many times on this show have I said, there's been another conviction. <laughs> There's been another maximum sentence. I mean, that's basically, in fact, I had some of that to share today, and I'm, I, we skipped it. We decided to skip it because it's just so my so routine. But as you pointed out in your post, it's not so easy, right, because of Congress and its infinite right. wisdom. So, so Congress has blocked detainee transfers in the United States, so, you know, Nishiri's stuck. So is there any way, is there any Fed courts compatible way to extend civilian Fed court Article Three jurisdiction to a proceeding where these guys physically aren't, aren't gone from Guantanamo? That is, can we? Can they be? Can something yeah. be sent down there, or can they be in some sense a physically remote participant? They would have to waive a whole bunch of stuff. 
right? Yeah. So, so there are there are a whole bunch of rules. I mean, you need a you need a statute to fix some of the statutory bars to doing that, and then you would need a whole lot of cooperation from the defendants. You know, what you'd really need is a kind of a wheeler dealer type guy as the convening authority. <laughs> Oh well, wait, they they used to have that. Well, I mean, so listen, I mean, the you know, I think uh, there are I think four or five different pending issues in the 9/11 case now before the CMCR where the government has made similar like you know, like I mean, listen, the government has laughed at the 9/11 defendant's suggestion that Harvey Rishikoff was fired for inappropriate purposes, right? Whatever you think of the, the politics here, the government, I think, lost a little bit of credibility yesterday. No. And so, you know, when the government says, uh, what do you mean, you know, you're not entitled to discovery as to whether Rishikoff right. was fired for the wrong reasons. Right. When you, when you have this sort of more glaring and easy case that they didn't do the right thing on, um, you know, Harvey, I do think, would have been the kind of person, you could, Harvey can do a deal. Yeah. He's a deal yeah. maker. Well, and, Har- and he was trying to make a deal when he was fired. I don't know. So I don't know if it's causation. It certainly yeah. was correlation. Well, so back to the question of what happens next. Yes. I, it does seem like, unless and until, and of course, there's no reason to think the administration is going to spend political capital on None. this. No, far from it. Yes. Um, they will instead commit to just trying to start the train over from the original station or one block out from the original station. In which, which case, means right. how long, reali- realistically, assume some efficiency, some lessons learned, some knuckling down to deal with this. Uh, how long would it take just to get back to the point they already were? Two and a half years. And the point we already are or, is still or pre-trial, a, a, at least a year away from a trial date. Yeah. So I, I would say that in terms right, so of getting to the op- opening arguments of a trial, uh, three and a half, four years at least, maybe. So maybe th- some miracle, it's three years. So this comes back to, so you alluded to me wanting to make this point already, right? And so, so speaking of Judge Griffith being on this panel, I mean, I have been incredibly critical of his majority opinion in Al-Nashiri 2, which unhelpfully was the third Nashiri mandamus petition because the first one didn't produce a published opinion, yeah. right? Um, where the does court, that make this new one three? three? I, think, I think we can all, I think we can, I, we can proclaim that this is al-Nashiri three. Can I put in a bid for not using the numeral designations and instead saying Nashiri, the, the judge should acquit one. Nashiri, the, is that an offense one? That, that sort of, that's helpful to me. That's inconsistent with the blue book, my friend. Exactly. Blue, you, blue you, book Uber Alice. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, man, I, hey, I was the executive editor of the Yale Law Journal, man. I am so not a blue booker, and that won't surprise you I have a blue bit. book right here. I, I can see it right next to your Chicago Manual of Style. There, there, are, there are a couple. I own them. I own those, but I don't know where they are. There are a couple of rules in the blue book that I wrote. Are there? Yes. Oh, that's pretty fun. Did you wait? Did you do one of those things where you snuck in like a friend's name or made a funny reference? If you, oh, let me put it this way. If you look at Rule 10... There are a bunch of national security cases as the examples. Oh, while you're talking, I am. <laughs> tab- oh. You might find uh, go for it. You might find Hamdi in there. Oh. Um, so, although I will say the reference to my aunt in the blue book was not me; that was there already. I have not opened this in so long. I'm like, oh, I remember this thing. All right, you realize that the listeners can't see you leafing no, through the No, I know, blue but book. you're supposed to be talking while I'm doing this. All right, so um, that Padilla, there it is. Exactly. <laughs> um, I wonder who came up with that. All right, uh. so the. The thing about yesterday's opinion is Griffith, in his opinion in Nashiri 2, had re- had refused to decide in advance, Bobby, whether um, the military commission even has jurisdiction over Nashiri since he's being tried for a pre-9-11 offense. And the Nashiri's lawyers had argued, I think, with some purchase that, you know, abstention didn't make sense if it was going to take like seven or eight years for the case to get back to the D.C. Circuit. And Griffith had basically poo-pooed that. Um, in his opinion in Nishiri 2, he says, it's purely speculative. There's no substantiation for why it would take this long. Like, you know, I don't really see that happening. Um, well, 2024, Bobby, now strikes me as wildly optimistic. Oh, yeah. No, and there's no question his prognostication turned out to be wrong. I don't begrudge him as much as you do. I, I mean, I'm not sure I would have made the same prediction. I, mean, I, th- I think it should have been cl- – my problem is I think it should have been clear as of August 2016 when that opinion was filed. That was pretty late in the that game. That there were already problems. In, in fairness, it, his quietly joining the majority here, I think, bespeaks an acknowledgement that, that, okay, that was wrong. By the way, while you were doing that, I, yes. I flipped through to see if the Blue Book addressed podcasts. Ah, does it? Oh, it does. Uh, so uh, it's in Rule 18.1, Basic Citation Forms for Internet and Other Electronic Sources, Sub B, Non-Internet Electronic Sources. Uh, podcast is the last one. And are we the example? No. 
Well, Chicago the, Public Radio, This American Life. How uh, dare they? But just, dear listeners, <laughs> if any of you happen to be those lucky executive few, editor of the ads. Harvard Law Review, the Yale Law Journal, the Columbia Law Review, or the, I think, is it NYU or State? I don't remember who's the fourth. Or for that matter, any competitor enterprise that Ooh, wants Maroon to make Book. a big splash, you know, I think I have an idea for what podcast you can cite. <laughs> um, okay, so. Then here's the, the big picture question for me, right? Um, so I wrote two posts yesterday. The first was a just security post, basically, you know, about what I thought were the sort of Al Nashiri specific implications. And then I got angrier and angrier as the day went on. I just got more, more and more tired. Were you on Twitter? I was not actually. I was, oh. I was mostly not on Twitter. I was Most, actually. Mostly dead. I was traveling. <laughs> okay. By the way, mostly dead. Did you see the headline about the pigs? No. Oh my no, gosh. Did, did somebody make a, a mostly dead reference? They were basically able to, like, scientists have basically been able to take, like, dead pigs and reactivate some of their brain cells. Where they're reanimating pigs? Yes. The same month that Pet Cemetery comes out? Yes. This is a terrible idea. Well, I thought there was a Game of Thrones joke in there about how, like, you know, scientists or the Night King. Or, or yeah, well, it depends, right? You got to check the pig's eyes because they're, as they we, as we know, uh, there are <laughs> many different ways. Oh my gosh, that was a good line. Okay, so, um, I wrote a post last night that I thought would provoke a little more of a response than it has, um, basically saying um, it's time to admit that the military commissions have yeah. failed. Um, and and the, the basic gist of the post is, you know, at some point we should look at how much energy and effort and money and resources have been poured into this operation over the past 17 years and look at where we are as of 2019 and just say enough is fracking enough. Yeah, I completely agree. And as a matter of What's good policy? What ought to happen? What makes sense? It, it was. It's long since been clear. You don't need this opinion. That this really is an additional nail in the coffin. Except that it's it. The sustainment of the military commissions uh, has has so much to do to do with the symbolism. People who would never in a million years at all be able to be conversant about the pol- the policy aspects of this, or could tell you exactly how it's going, or what the trade offs are if you try to move to a different situation. Uh, but for a lot of people who know nothing about the details, it just symbolizes something, and, and they hold on to that. Yeah. That combined with the fact that you have the transfer. Uh, constraint. Well, the transfer ban leaves you leaves you with uh, sort of a look. It's politically very costly to move away from this. Like someone who takes someone who identifies himself as the champion of taking them down, who's who's coming from a point of view where the background constituency for them is hostile to that view. They're gonna they're gonna experience a real cost, and it's not clear they can actually get the other system in place unless you simultaneously do something about the you know, transfer. It, it, it's clear, right? It's clear that there's going to be no appetite in Congress for what really needs to be done. Yeah. But, you know, that the government's hands are not tied. I mean, they could simply just move these guys back into the military detention side of Gitmo. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like it's trial or release. No, that you and I agree with that. Don't you think, in fairness, like if they do that, some on the left and some of the libertarian right are going to go nuts and be yes. like, oh, you're not even pretending. You're, you had a terrible shambles of a prosecution yes. system. Now you're not even pretending to do that. Yeah, but the courts won't, I think, is the key. Whereas whereas I look at yesterday's decision as a harbinger. Mm-hmm. I mean, barring radical shift to the D.C. circuit, right, between now and 2021, 2022, which, you know, could happen. I look at yesterday's decision as a harbinger that um, – the Michigas that is happening in the military commissions is not going to survive appeal. And, and there's a statistic here. There is not a single substantive ruling from the military commissions that has been affirmed by the D.C. Circuit on de novo review. Not one. Well, and there are probably some listeners thinking that, well, yeah, but Trump's appointing all the judges. There's no reason on earth to think that the median judge that Trump has been appointing uh, has a particular view on these sorts of issues. I suppose you might have a kind of a... Uh, a caricature that they're all going to rule for the government no matter what. I, I don't think that's at all true for a lot of these judges. A lot of these nope. judges are relatively no, Griff- libertarian. Look, look at Griffith. I mean, Griffith, Griffith was a Bush appointee, right? Yeah. I mean, I, so um, the other point, though, is there are also no vacancies on the D.C. Circuit right now. And yeah, so, so it's a moot point. Um, for the moment. So, um, it, you know, I, I, I continue to believe that as a matter of constitutional law, the commissions do have jurisdiction to try the 9-11 defendants. Mm-hmm. I continue to believe that there are serious problems with that case. And I think some of those problems are not are, are, are going to infect whatever happens. And, you know, I wrote an op-ed on the 15th anniversary of 9-11 about Nashiri, ironically. <laughs> well, you can write the same one on the 20th and the 25th. <sighs> well, so uh, this was actually, thinking back, this was right after the D.C. Circuit's decision in Nashiri, too. Um, and I wrote an op-ed basically saying, you know, I am not, I come at this from, the, from a, a, a sort of critical perspective. But when I think about this from the perspective of the of the victims' families, and the idea that part of the purpose of a criminal justice system is closure, um, oh yeah, no, it's. I, I was about to say that I think the people who have the most 
reason to be mad about this situation are the victim families, yep. and, and in the case of the cold, survivors as well. Um, well, that's true also, of course, with 9-11. Yeah. Case. There are survivors and victims, families. Um, they should all be furious because there would have been, I, I would bet you dollars to donuts, we would have had capital punishment, at least with respect to KSM and Ramsey bin al-Sheib, probably maybe and some maybe, others. Maybe Nashiri. Uh, maybe Nashiri as well, at least life sentences and closure. And we'd be done. Law and it not just like in the recent years, like like ten, uh, ten years ago, eight ten years ago. I mean, maybe so. So listen, if Her- if Eric Holder had his way and moved the nine eleven trial to New York, it, it would have taken a couple of years. But like by twenty twelve, it would have been done. Yeah. So we're talking about seven, six and a half years down the road now. And I just, um, I, I just don't understand. Like, I mean, my cons- I don't know how if you are Mark Martin's or other government lawyers, you know, you are not now terrified that you're going to put in all this work to secure convictions of the 9-11 defendants and then just have them wiped out on a Well, I'm sure most of the prosecutors are quite worried about that. Now, they're not the ones who get to make the decision on whether to keep using the system. Their job is to make the best efforts they can within the system. Okay, but their job— Sometimes that's going well, and in many cases going well, but in this case, boy, it did not go well. Their job— It was spath. So I was going to say, and speaking of their jobs, I mean, you know, I I have usually been very defensive— of prosecuting, of the prosecutors of the military commissions, even when I vehemently disagreed with them substantively. And I'm a big fan of General Martin's. I cannot abide their litigation conduct in this case. I just, I, you know, I don't know if it's sanctionable, but it is not the way government lawyers should comport themselves. I would say, I'm no fan of what happened here. You know that. So, okay. and I think that uh, Taylor was right to uh, criticize yep. the whole crew who were involved in denying that this is something that's even worth looking into. Yep. When in fact, it's just a textbook case of a judge who was, uh, clearly under a duty to disclose what was going on and then should have frankly recused. I mean, you just shouldn't be seeking that job while you're presiding over a case like this or any case. Yep. By the way, we're five minutes into stoppage time and it is still 4-3, meaning it's still 4-4 on aggregate, meaning it's still good for Spurs. Oh, wow. Okay. It's going well. And the SPAT discussion went pretty well. Indeed. Um, are there any shorter than I thought it was? Are there any SPATH substantive rulings that touch on issues of special procedural rights or substantive issues that just got wiped off and are going to get a fresh look now that so, really I mean, loom large? If I remember right, I mean, at some point there was a fight over particular charges in the case that I think I think SPATH had thrown out one of the charges. Yeah. I, I wonder mean, if that came before he. And that's I, don't, I, don't remember the time, I don't remember the timing. Yeah. Um, all of the stuff about the legacy microphone, right? All of the, the layer yeah. one of the 10-layer yeah, dip. The, the dip stuff is all up for grabs from step yep. one. Oh, by the way, so speaking of, so I should say, um, given that all of the orders back to November 2015 were wiped out, that had the effect of mooting the other case we mentioned. Right, so the Spears case goes away because that because the dip goes away. Because the dip goes away. And so now everybody's sitting around the kitchen being like, all right, well, we've been what are told. What we going to eat? We've got, we've got it. We were told we have to make dip again. Uh, how many layers should we try to put in at this time? Well, and, we, and, and Bobby, and with, something tells me we won't have General Baker's not going to get detained again. We're not going to get all this stuff. Well, also because the rules are changing, but also like you know, I mean, I I can't believe we're starting again. I mean, I can, but I can't. No, it's like many times have I said the phrase "bleak house." Yes, the bleak house aspects are getting comical at this point. Or I, so you say bleak house. Bleak house was twenty something years. Yeah. This is going to give it a run for yeah. its money. I say Yogi Berra. It's deja vu all over again. All over again. <laughs> um, Hard to make predictions. Six minutes of stoppage time. How much stoppage time are they getting? Uh, you are not focused. I am. I, did I say Did I say that? No, you weren't. You I could could. I could I walk and shoot up at the same well, time. Well, I'm going to distract you by asking you to explain what is going on with Hernandez. Mm. A, t- a quasi-sustaining uh, member. Hernandez has been with us for a while. I think Hernandez is about to be, you know, could become a sustaining member again right, So remind everybody, what, what was the deal there, the underlying facts? So let me start by saying, just again, caveat, I am counsel of record for the petitioners in Hernandez. So, right, so everything... So you've got to be taken with a grain of salt, whereas I am free to exactly. say what I want. But also, I should say, I am speaking only on my own behalf and not necessarily for any of my co-counsel or for the plaintiffs. Very good. Um, so remind, this is, this is the Fifth Circuit cross-border shooting case um, where the allegations in the complaint, um, which we accept as, you know, true for the sake of a motion to dismiss, um, are that a CBP officer without provocation used excessive force in firing across the Mexican border um, and shooting in the back and killing an unarmed 15-year-old Mexican named Sergio Hernandez. Um, the case went to the Supreme Court in 2017 um, after the Fifth Circuit had basically held that Mesa, Agent Mesa, um, could not be held liable because he was entitled to qualified immunity because he could not have, you know, her, whether whether or not Hernandez had Fourth or Fifth Amendment rights as a Mexican standing in Mexico, um, it certainly wasn't clearly established that he did. 
The Supreme Court reversed in 2017 um, and held that that was an incorrect application of qualified immunity, but returned the case to the Fifth Circuit because it had just decided the Abbasi case, where it basically had further narrowed the scope of um, judge-made damages remedies under the so-called Bivens Doctrine, where basically, because Congress has never authorized um, expressly constitutional damages suits against federal officers, courts have done it themselves. Um, and so the question that Hernandez then turned on was whether this was an appropriate case to recognize a Bivens remedy for courts to fashion from the Fourth and Fifth Amendments a remedy for damages for the alleged violation of Hernandez's constitutional rights. Um, we had filed a cert petition last June, um, two weeks before Justice Kennedy announced his retirement, um, mm -hmm. challenging the en banc Fifth Circuit's conclusion that we were not entitled to a Bivens remedy and arguing that it was inconsistent with Abbasi. Um, because unlike Abbasi here, this was an individual instance of a rogue law enforcement officer, and here there were no alternative remedies, whereas Abbasi it was high-level government officials and there were alternative remedies, and those were both pretty important in Justice Kennedy's analysis. Um, I, I think I can say we thought it was a long shot. Um, then, as folks might remember, while our cert petition was pending in the Ninth Circuit in a case with horrifyingly similar facts out of Arizona, um, reached exactly the opposite conclusion and held that there was a Bivens remedy for a cross-border shooting um, and created a head-on circuit split. So in October, um, the Supreme Court took both of these cert petitions and asked the Solicitor General to weigh in. Basically, dear SG, we've got the circuit split, we've got these two petitions, what do you think? Um, ooh, by the way, it's over. Spurs, so, Spurs, Spurs advance on. on away goals. Go Spurs go. Come um, on, y'all. Whatever so, it was. Um, so this was October, and it just sort of disappeared for a while. Last Thursday, the Solicitor General filed his, quote, invitation brief, right, his CVSG brief. Um, and the SG recommends that the court grant Hernandez our case. Congratulations. Well, eh, hold, hold the Ninth Circuit case pending Hernandez. Um, but with regard to Hernandez, we had presented two questions in our petition. Um, the first was, is there a Bivens remedy? And the second was, if there isn't, does that raise quest constitutional questions about the Westfall Act, which preempts state tort remedies? Um, is the constitutional question that there's no means of relief? Right. And so therefore, if Congress in the Westfall Act thereby took away the only possible remedy that Sergio's parents would have had for the constitutional violation, is the Westfall Act constitutionally problematic in a world in which there was no alternative remedy? Yep, got it. Um, and, you know, this may sound weird. You know, it's a shooting in, uh, on the, across the U.S. border. What does state tort law to do with it? Texas Bobby actually has a well-settled body of tort Shot law. Shot fired from within Texas. Exactly. Um, and, and so there's actually, this is not true of every state. But actually, Texas has a, a... We have a lot of shots fired, so uh, we yeah. have lots of law about this sort of thing. So it's not bullet-specific, but um, I don't think there's any question that there could have been a tort claim under state tort law up until the Westfall Act in 1988. So we had presented that as a second question. Um, and the SG basically says, Dear Supreme Court, you should grant Hernandez but only the first question because the Fifth Circuit did not decide the Westfall Act question below. Um, and so we filed a supplemental brief today basically saying, um, Dear Supreme Court, we completely agree with the brilliant, you yeah. know, inspired recommendations of the Solicitor General. Mo the mostly brilliant yes. <laughs> brief. Um, as, to, as to grant in question one. But we couldn't disagree more about not yeah, grant in question two. Suddenly, they used up all their wisdom Seriously. in the first half of the brief. Um, basically, I mean, the argument is that you can't really decide the Bivens question without confronting the constitutional implications of— Well, there are of, two sides of, the, of one coin. That's right. That's, yeah. that's our argument. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the court's going to do. I do think that because the SG has recommended that they grant Hernandez, um, that the odds of a grant have gone up yet further. Yeah, there must be data on that. Um, I, someone's kept it. I, you know, it's, 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 but it helps. It helps. Clearly helps. Um, you know, I, so I don't know. I, I, you know, obviously recommending that they don't grant question two runs out against that. Um, the timing now, I think, is, you know, this, the, the case will probably be distributed to the conference in early to mid-May. Um, well, it'll be distributed next week, but it'll go to a conference in earlier mid-May. And we'll probably have a decision one way or the other by the day after Memorial Day. All right. So. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I think it is looking quite likely that the court's going to grant Hernandez 2. Hernandez 2. Hernandez 2. Roman numeral 2. Hernandez 2, colon, the Bivens the Bivens, part. The Bivens part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're such you know, nerds. in the old days, uh, so in the old days, we actually used to name Supreme Court cases by what they were about. Yeah, right? it was so, so much better. The slaughterhouse cases. Yeah. The caption is not actually the slaughterhouse cases. The prize cases. The prize cases. Yeah. Uh, the civil rights cases. Yeah. The lottery case. Uh, the cross-border shooting case. 
or case is. So case um, the 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 editors of my con law case book tried to do that. They tried to call NFIB versus Sibelius the healthcare cases, um, and I just mm. don't think that's stuck. Yeah, no, I I think it's we've gotten out of the. And also, that's pretty. That's not necessarily the right one. If they want to say like the Obamacare case, that might actually work. Except that, there, except that there have now been two, and there might be a third one by this yeah, by next term. Yeah, that's the problem. With so this. all of it just to say, um, I actually think we're going to have a lot more to say about Hernandez going forward, including, God help me, um, Supreme Court argument number two. Maybe, uh, maybe this time they will not ask me if Marbury was rightly decided. You, you get asked like, well, we we want to observe, uh, Mr. Vladek, that his uh, 200th anniversary of McCulloch versus Maryland <laughs> was uh, was the tax portion of that uh, ruling correct? That will be fun to watch. You we score. actually we actually just just just. Heard a paper about that. Yes, we did. Sandy so. Levinson's got a new paper. All right, enough about me. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we have a. Third. But by the way, go, yeah. sp- go Spurs! Come yeah. on, you Spurs! Come on, come on, y'all Spurs! Here come the here come the Champions League semifinals! Woo! Come on, y'all Spurs! All right, so um, this last topic before we get to the frivolity. It has to do or is inspired by a story the New York Times ran recently, a really interesting piece, uh, explaining that uh, cops had figured out in the course of regular law enforcement investigations, and there was an example in this story that kind of drove the narrative about a murder investigation, they figured out that Google had a, uh, a trove, it was preserving a trove of uh, location information about customers where you could locate it to the customers. They didn't separate out the location data from customer identities. This was a very handy investigative tool. It's just like finding out that, hey, this uh, this company on the corner has cameras on its property and they pick up a lot of a lot of activity out on the streets and you know a crime occurred there. So this is sort of the location data equivalent of mm. that. And it wasn't that the cops were coming to Google saying, hey, John Doe is our suspect. Can you place him? Can we have his location data? It wasn't particularized in that respect. What they had was there's a particular location at a particular date in time range. Give us a dump or what you might call a mini bulk collection. Uh, give us a <laughs> give us a, a a pool of all you've got that suggests that these phones were in that location at that time. And at that point, we're going to have a finite universe. We've gone from who knows how many possible theoretical suspects to a relatively small set, relatively being a a very select word there, still a big number. And we'll go through there and see if when we fish in that limited pond, it becomes easy to make a match with other clues we've got, such as a description of a vehicle. And that actually did work. Now, uh, ironically, or, or at least an oddity of the situation was, they matched up a car on the phone to the per- to a particular person, arrested that guy. It was the wrong guy, but it was the right phone and car. It's just that somebody else had used, I think it was his mom's car, and they had his phone. Um, but it was close enough. That got them to the actual perpetrator. Um, so from an investigator's viewpoint, it's obvious why you'd want that data. The case itself reveals you know, exactly how useful it might be. Um, but the story is framed as... What the hell is this? What is going on? This is a privacy violation. Now, they had a warrant. That's a critical part of the Mm. story. There was a warrant granted. And that makes this story very different from the otherwise quite parallel story we talked about, I think, a few episodes back, where the DEA had a similarly clever idea about trying to identify who is it you should be investigating more narrowly by going uh, in this one particular town to the businesses that sold cash bulk cash sorting devices, and then getting the customer dump. Who's bought this in the past year? And then looking through the records of each of those persons to figure out if there were people who didn't have an obvious business need for doing so. In that case, they had a subpoena. They did not have a warrant. Um, So even though you would think that the Google story actually looks much better from a privacy perspective because, in fact, there was a court involved in granting a warrant based on probable cause. And, in fact, when Google uh, produced the data, they actually anonymized it such that the cops had to then come back and say, okay, this seems, you know, this is of interest to us. Let's have uh, more identity. Um, Nonetheless, both stories kind of put forward as if equally problematic. And what's the common touchstone? To some extent, it's just the idea of interpreting either subpoena authority or a warrant in an unparticularized way, in a non-individualized way. Even though it's somewhat narrow from a certain point of view, it's not specific to a particular target. But the larger message in both stories, I think, or at least especially in the Google story, is mounting uh, cultural discomfort in America with companies retaining personally identifiable information uh, when it's not very clearly necessary for core business purposes that are not themselves controversial. Uh, This is a story that's been uh, mounting over time, especially thanks to Facebook 
and Cambridge Analytica. It represents a, an, we're in the midst of what may prove to be a sea change that brings American privacy concepts and, and uh, values more into line with the European approach where this sort of property-ish notion of your per- personally identifiable information make it problematic for a company to retain information mm. unless there's a darn good reason for it. For years, we were not like that, but we're becoming like that. And the reason I wanted to highlight this, Steve, is that you and I have talked a ton about the third-party doctrine mm-hmm. as, a, as a huge limitation on where the Fourth Amendment provides protection. And Carpenter as a uh, appreciation of how technology upsets the balancing of factors that led to the third-party doctrine in some cases and led to the court in Carpenter taking a bite out of the third-party doctrine. And there's been a ton of debate on our show and, and in other venues, of course, ever since Carpenter about are we witnessing the, uh, the erosion more generally of the third-party doctrine? And in, in that case, will the government find itself much less able to take advantage of the sea of third-party data that's out there, this otherwise golden age of, of data? Um, the lesson, I think, of the Google story, and maybe in combination with the, the cash sorting story as well, is that the erosion, the practical effect of the erosion could come about as much or more from changing values about whether companies are going to face blowback mm-hmm. when the public finds out right. that they're retaining this data when they don't strictly need to, um, and whether as we move along this continuum that gets us closer and closer to a GDPR-like approach, and, and in California we're already getting there, right? Um, we're going to find that companies start feeling tremendous pressure to not retain this stuff. And basically to raise the floor, the privacy floor themselves. Exactly. And so when the government comes along, even if nothing really changes to the third-party doctrine, less and less will you find that companies actually possess these materials. I mean, I, I've, I've said, I think, since the Snowden disclosures, right, that, that to me the most aggressive mechanism for meaningful change of American privacy law is going to be on the corporate side, um, right? I Either because... You're going to have companies that have to do business in Europe that have to raise their standards so that they compete in Europe, or because there's going to be sufficient public pressure on the American side, yeah. right, to force these companies to 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 to, to in, in, improve their their protections. And you might say there's a highest common denominator approach. Indeed, when you're a business that has, even if you have nothing in Europe, well, you probably have some business in California. Yep. And if California is moving in that same direction, Indeed. then you you're not nec- you could orchestrate your system such that you're, you know, like a kind of like an emissions thing mm-hmm. in, in automobiles, right? So I'm going to have a California emissions compatible system right. here. Eventually, it just becomes the national standard because it's more efficient to have one mm-hmm. compliant with the most rigorous system and apply that across the board. States as laboratories. There you go. Well, in, it's kind of a, uh, you know, instead of a race to the bottom, it's it becomes a race, a race to, the to the top. Which happens. I mean, Or the bottom, depending on your point of view. If you're a law enforcement well, investigator, <laughs> this is not a race to the top. Indeed. All um, right. Speaking um, of races. Yeah? There's a race to Winterfell. Oh, very good. They're moving pretty slowly. Those dead folks, they well, just sort uh, of shuffle along. Yeah. All right, spoiler alert okay, so time. If you, if tune you, out, so, tune so away. If, if you don't care about Game of Thrones or if you have not yet seen episode one, um, you should leave now. I wonder, and I, I'm sure we can get some listeners to chime in on Twitter to tell us. I, I'm guessing that the concentric circles of people who appreciate Game of Thrones and the people who will listen to this podcast, pretty good overlap. If you can't stand the one or the other... It could be either one. Let us know. I mean, I, I suspect that there are people who are maybe um, anti-sexual violence who are okay with our podcast, um, right? But yes. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine you, you'd be fine with the, the podcast and don't appreciate any number of, of the extreme depictions of right. violence, Karen, sexual I mean, Karen, and otherwise. Karen couldn't watch for a couple seasons. She, she, I, I, yeah. I had to convince her to come back. All right, so, so we are turning to our potential spoiler discussion now. Now. All right. Now. Where to dive in? Okay. First, top level reaction. Um, did they hit their marks for you in terms of quality, levels of interest, twist, excitement? Was it was it better than expectations, exceeds expectations, meets, or fails? So I think I, one of the reviews I read basically said that Game of Thrones has become a victim of its own expectations. Um, I thought the episode was <sighs> welcome. I thought I, w- I was very excited to watch it. I thoroughly enjoyed the hour. I thought it was a little weak. I, I, I yeah. thought it was a little weak. And and I think part of why it was weak is because it had a whole lot to do, and it did it 
and, and, and it didn't sort of malinger over it didn't not, not malinger it didn't linger over it any of what it was felt, doing felt box checky yes like okay. we, we've Check. got right. we, we've got to reintroduce did. remind people we've got to close some gaps we've right. only got six episodes left folks we got to get somewhere and we only here. have an hour in this one so we need Arya to reunite with this person we need Sansa to have this reunion we it need... felt formulaic so I, I don't know formulaic it, 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 the box I like box checking it felt like they sort of here are the 37 plot elements we need to accomplish in yeah. 54 minutes yeah like they were making a recipe um, and and you know I, I, the problem is is that I think each one of those elements is important like I actually I mean you know I don't think that there was, I don't think that there was a lot I mean with the exception of of you know John's drag John's joyride on Rhaegal, um, I, I want to have words about that. Um, I, I thought that actually most of the box checking was really important. Um, you know, I, but I mean, the, the, one of the most important reveals in the entire fracking series got like two minutes of screen time, right? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. You know, by the way, you know, John, John you're, yeah. you're, you're not just king of the north, you're king of the bloody seven, the, 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 was it the bloody seven kingdoms or the seven bloody kingdoms? Either one works. Yeah, I thought that it felt just forced and rushed. And ironically, the, you know, so my critique of all the other parts except for the, the joyride yeah. uh, is that they, they all were just like pushed right out. Just here right. you go, here you go. Right. No setup, no, right. no lingering, none of the slow burn that was so characteristic of early in with the With one exception, with one exception. The, the, the plant of Bran Waiting for an old friend. Yeah, was that was brilliant. well done. That was good because it even took me a second to figure yeah. out who he was waiting no, for. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You know, dwell. I, I heard what he said and I thought, huh, that's weird. I don't really know what he's talking about. And then at the end, when when Jamie arrives, that was great. And then, you know, to have him. And they did this. Okay, so some compliments for this episode. Indeed. They did. They clearly were trying to do some homage work. Yep. Uh, a lot of callbacks. Everybody's observed this. A lot of callbacks to things from the first episode, right from the opening scene, which. Where the the, the boy running through the woods tracked it tracked Arya's uh, is that you know, is that the or is that Lord Umber? I thought that oh, was, was it was I it Ned Umber? Was, I thought that was he should have been running around like that. <laughs> maybe it was, maybe I don't know if that, bad things could happen to a kid if he's a, not careful out there in them woods. Indeed, I don't know if it was a different boy. It might have been a different boy. But, might have been, yeah. but it's, it's like right. But that was a nice it was like a nice Arya gesture. in the first episode. Yeah, that was cool. Um, and I think the the symmetry of of Jamie's arrival as back then golden haired Prince Charming. Uh, and then arriving here, his hair is shorn. It's dark. He's he's burned out. It, it was a nice little bookend. And seeing Bran, who you know, the oh, yeah. who was shoved out a window oh, at the end no. of the first episode. No question. No question. Um, I mean, that's that was the most that was the most subtle yes. emotional punch, which I thought was of great. Show. Of course, the the least subtle emotional punch show, which was a lot of fun uh, in a terribly horrifying you know horror kind of way, was what happens to Ned Umber. Indeed. Um, I mean, now, we saw okay, that coming. So can we talk about the spirals? Well, um, before we get to the spirals, right? There's the there's the sort of the SEAL Team Six meetup, right, between um, uh, Tormund and and Do- and Dolores. Ed. That was great. That was done in a in a f- the fun way. Of course, everything Tormund. He has blue eyes. The, I've always had blue eyes. Pretty good. You know, a lot of these great actors are forced to deliver some pretty wooden lines, but he gets good lines, and he's he's a lot of fun. He lives that character. The whole the you know the bug eyed stare he delivers constantly is pretty great. I've always had blue eyes. Was wonderful. All right. So is the spiral a thing? So we, what do we know? We know that the spiral appeared in the opening. I think it's the first first season one episode where they showed the dismembered bodies in the woods. You know what's going on? I think the pieces. I like the fist of the first men, right, or something like that. And, and at the at right, and then it's also seen from above when they show the scene, sort of indirectly, of the children of the forest uh, making the original Night King. Um, you see the top of the weirwood, and the and the lines on the ground seem to be a spiral mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. We also know that there's symmetry with the Targaryen crest or, or banner. Um, the dragon's right. heads and all the rest seem to lay out in about the same spiral. Um, but I always think of this as sort of like in Lost. There's all these like tantalizing right. clues. And you're, not sure, it, and you're not sure if they're MacGuffins like, or if they're... Yeah, yeah. no, and, it's, and it turns out it's like, no, yeah. there's, I don't know. We just kind of did that because it's kind of cool to get you to yeah. notice these things. Um, there's the spiral cave art, yep. you know, down in, I yep. think, in Dragonstone, yep. maybe in the walls. Yep. So does it signify anything? I, I'm i a little suspicious that it's just sort of like, ooh, yeah, they... Yep. It's, so... Um, I liked, you know, I think it was the last season where, where Sansa says that, like, Arya's the bravest person she knows, right? And then in this episode, uh, uh, Arya says Sansa's the smartest person. Smartest, she, right? Yeah, uh, there's yeah. a, like, I like the, the mutual Stark sister admiration society yeah, thing going on. They've both grown up in their own ways, and, man, Sansa's definitely become tough. And it's- San- Sansa takes, a, takes a, an S-H-you-know-what all over Tyrion. I used uh, to. I used to think you were the cleverest man you know, okay, alive. Okay, so that was the thing I like. That's the line I liked the most. Yes. Because uh, I think for close observers who 
liked it when Tyrion was in fact really clever and, and was outsmarting people. It's been very frustrating to have him instead turn into a star who just sort of is, he, he's gone from this rogue, but you kind of respect him and he's sort of lovable in his rogueness to this sort of sad sack. Old man. Who's, who's wrong about stuff. Yeah. And, no, but also and he rides in the carriage with Varys and they're, they just seem like so they've he, outlived right, their usefulness. He got, right, I mean, he gets the first line of the season. Right, um, and yet the whole thing ends up being about like you know he's old and useless. I mean, like, there's that yeah. whole sort of dialogue between Tyrion, Varys, and um, um, what's his name, uh, Davos, Sir Davos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about yeah. how they're old and they you know they, no one listens to them anymore and they're right. old. But you know, but but Davos at least continues to have smart insights, or at least most of the time they portray <laughs> a, him that way. A proposal is what I'm proposing. <laughs> Whoever would have thought that John and Danny should get married? So. Can I go back though? You mentioned the Joyride earlier. I did mention the Joyride. I, I did not like the Joyride. Hated that. Can I, can I say that if, they might as well reshoot that and have Daenerys uh, put her hand out and say, "Do you trust me?" And then they play. It's a whole new world <laughs> as they go soaring through the skies. It's like this horrible mashup of Aladdin and never-ending story, and it just went on and on, and it didn't even. It didn't have the you know the decency to act like in fact John would probably die in that circumstance. This, John, this, this is my There's problem. No, this is my, so no, gra- it's so, just so fantasy. So, so far as we know, right? Normal laws of gravity apply in Westeros. That's right. Right. Um, right. The, yeah. The, and if and, normal and, laws of gravity apply, the G forces centrifugal force would too. knock John way the frack off of the dragon and send him pummeling to his death. Don't they, in in freaking How to Train Your Dragon, don't they <laughs> use saddles and straps even in the cartoon? Yes. Right? Yes. There's a reason. Yes. Because even in that cartoon, they want to have it not be ridiculous. You don't want to suggest like you can grab this horn on a living creature's back and, and just... There's a point where Rhaegal's in like an inverted dive and I'm like, it is not... So, yeah. so I understand that like, you know... I, it's weird to be pedantic about the laws of physics in a show where there are White Walkers yeah. coming no, back from the dead. this whole series is is at the core of the so-called hard fantasy canon, right. where the whole idea is it's supposed to be grimly realistic, and and they've really kind of it it appears they've really just kind of gone fan satisfaction on us. Now it's possible this is just a setup. Like I'll give you this first episode. Oh look how great it's all going. Oh, and then someone's actually going to fall off the dragon and die. It, well, I don't know about that. I think that might have just been look. We've got this big budget for dragons, and we got to have some people riding them. But uh, but maybe they're just trying to get you like, come on, yeah, John and Daenerys, it's all going to be great. So, gonna be uh, so, and so, then they're going to try to okay, break people's so, hearts. So I do think. I mean, I, I do think we are. So anyone who thinks the season ends with John and Daenerys happily married on the no Iron Throne, way. like I, I mean, keep in mind, right, that the whole first season. Should was setting up Sean being right Ned yeah. as the noble oh, yeah. hero, and then episode nine yeah. off with his head. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, like clearly, one if not both of them yeah. is dying. Yeah, I right? agree. I agree. Um, so um, we come to this moment where Sam unloads the news. Indeed. Now here you are. The 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 army of the dead is on its way. Yep. We don't have time for so right. Brand's news report. Like, hey, hey everybody, I I got some news. They've got a dragon. By the way, also no one like the, the reactions to the, yeah. They they kind of underreacted to the to news. The, like, oh, uh, by the way, you know they took the dragon. They took and, the dragon. Yeah, I, I I actually think that would lead to some like they've broken through the wall. They yeah. have a dragon. Like everyone's like, that sucks. As opposed to like. What they broke the walls? The wall is gone. Yeah, they yeah. have a dragon. <laughs> like those strike me. Yeah. Yes. Shouldn't we all just get on boats and go to go to the the mainland, or or go to um um the Iron Islands? Go to Pike. I, I like that. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm gonna head east, not west. Thank sure. you very much. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little more hospitable on the continent. All right. So if you're John, yes. and you're told actually you're the true heir, yes. but you're sleeping with the woman who thinks she's the true heir, and mm. you've already betra- you know you've already bent the knee, um, do you what, do you just Keep it to yourself and say, "Listen." For, so, will will they have John be like, "That may be true, but I, this is no time to disrupt the alliance." John we'll says he thinks it's later. John says he thinks it's treason, right? You know, um, I don't know. I mean, John has a real problem because. On right, the so, one what, hand, what would you do? What would what would what? <laughs> Steve? Steve, you. I've come won't back from the dead. This, it turns out I've come back after I've come back from the dead. You're a right? fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect fit, Steve Targaryen. Oh yeah, <laughs> first of, first of his name. <laughs> I think that's our episode title, by the way, Steve, Steve Targaryen, Targaryen, comma first, first of his name. name. Oh my god, that's um, great. So so, uh, I guess one reaction um, is that John should sort of fold. The big news into a marriage proposal, right? Like, you know, step. Let's uh, just make it move. Like, we'll co-equal. You know, we'll, 
William and Mary. Right. Like, you know. Although William was not actually fully king. Was he? Yes. William and Mary. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, full on yeah. equal equal sovereignty. Uh, Mary match. died. Mary died in um, 1694. No, no, no. But when they started, she was queen. And I, I he thought he was, was king. Duke, or no, was he, he king was king. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure um, all kinds of our English history listeners are I, like, you we, guys are idiots. We're about to get, like, hoisted yeah, on Twitter. Hey, educate us. That's all fun. Um, but but I just you know I, I think I, th- I think it has to like you can't just be like by the way I'm in charge you're not like that's not going to work yeah there's no way and there's no way he's going to do that right but I could see him saying you know um, I I think we should get married and by the way there's another reason yeah uh, now there is a catch you're my aunt so this is gonna <laughs> they're, tar- be... they're Targaryens but, but we're Targaryens so it's yeah, like we're actually required yeah. to do this so it's like win win aunt, aunt nephew is like nothing compared to brother sister. Fair enough. It's like, you know, this is actually progress. By the way, I can't believe I just said that line out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Can that be the name of the show? And <laughs> nothing is nothing. <laughs> no. We are not putting sexual innuendo about incest in the episode title. Um, so, um, yeah, so that'll, that's wh- probably one more, a good One more observation, by the way, mm-hmm. is that um, we have spent the entire episode, uh, the entire episode, the entire frivolity segment, talking about the Winterfell portion of the episode. And we haven't said a word about the King's Landing portion. Yeah, I don't love the the Euron Greyjoy uh, plot line. Golden Company. No, it, the Golden Company feels very you know Deus Ex Machina. Like, hey, they need an army. Well, okay, bring in the Golden Company. Right. Um, and then Euron, he's supposed to be roguishly charming. It feels like a very cartoonish character. I agree with that. I actually think that I'm much more interested in Bronn. Yeah. No. Although, although I thought that I thought the where Braun is when Maester Kyburn oh, comes it was upon so him HBO was like, completely gratuitous. Like we've got, we haven't figured out when who's going to have sex in this episode. Braun, well, Braun, yeah, and let's have it be <laughs> this like very gratuitous sort of. You know, it was supposed to be kind of comic relief. Yeah, but and it but wasn't it, it, was, it, was it just, just, it was it like, just felt forced. Yeah, and it was sicky. like just happened in a pub. Yeah. Um, um, so the the idea that Cersei would come to him and ask him to do this. When she's got endless resources because of the money That's, she's borrowed. Yeah. I'm not buying that you would go to Braun for that because you would kind of wonder. He sure has been tight with Tyrion over time. That's, so so my reaction is like, listen, you can't – obviously you can't send the mountain because like, right. you know – Right, that would be a little awkward. Like, you know, when Jamie and Who's Tyrion – Who's the new guy? When, when Jamie and Tyrion see the, mon, the mountain, they're yeah. going to know something's yeah, up. But you, you, so you get an anonymous – you know, go hire a hitman. There's mm-hmm. ways to do this. There's no particular reason to think that Braun, among his the many face, skills – The faceless man. Right, you go hire – Where's Jock and Hakar? We need him. Well, maybe he'll show back up Indeed. again. Um, so I think that that was, it felt forced. It felt like, hey, major character, another major character needs you to do something to other major characters to, so that you can be back in the plot line so that's, somewhere. So, so that's what struck me as like, how do we send Braun north? Right? Like, yeah, right. We, we need some plot device to get yeah. Braun out of King's Landing and to Winterfell. And by the way, if, if you're, what your aim is, is to knock off Jamie and Tyrion, like, here, here's the crossbow. I want you to sneak around with and do this. Like, it seems a little more of a poison kind of thing. I yeah. mean, and she knows all about that. But it's that. poetic justice. She wants, you know, that, the, the that weapon part to kill, uh, kill Tywin. Tree, look at this and be like, he's like, you know, I'm not really trained up on a crossbow. Is that a crossbow in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? I'm although, sh- although Bronn did fire the ballista. If you can watch, if well, you, fair if, enough. Yeah. And, he, and he says that, right? You know, I, I shot a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, that felt like it was just a plot line for. But so this is my reaction, right? There's so much we just had to talk about, and there's so many interesting things that happened, and it just felt like you know slapdash. Well, we haven't mentioned Theon yet. Now I said oh, earlier Theon. I was going to talk about somebody getting an axe to the face. Yes, I will say very pleased that you know to symbolize his return to his strong self and the further uh, you know stepping away from reek he has shaved and theon looked like himself again and he even managed not to look too weak and he axes a guy in the face in very game of thrones fashion mm-hmm. um frees his sister that's all sweet and great. I, by the way, I do I do like Yara's headbutt and then hand. I yeah, that, no, was, that, was that was great. Cool. Are we going to see her again, or are they just moving her off stage left? I, I, I mean, she's was going, that just tying up a plot line? I don't think so. I, I think I so so I think they're setting us up for the the humans losing the Battle of Winterfell, and but not necessarily to, the war, right? Yeah. And retreating, and the retreat would have to be to one of two places: to King's Landing yeah. or to the Iron Islands. Right. Yeah, it'd be hard to make it interesting. In terms of the the army of the dead attacking the Iron Islands, because they, they can't, they can't. I mean, you can have the dragon fly around, but um, they can fly everyone over. 
One at a time. One or two at a time. One white at a time. He can just grab whites and just drop. Oh, that's perfect. Like the, the claws, you just grab a bunch and just drop them on the castle. I think they're talons, not claws. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. The difference? Is, is, there, is, there, is, there a, is there a correct dragon physiology? I'm uh, sure there is. Yeah. We'll get that uh, on Twitter yeah, too. Yeah. So Theon also must assemble that, you know, he must get to Winterfell and like he'll right. show up there on the speedboat. Uh, just in time to you know save somebody's butt or die heroically and like you know redeeming himself by saving one or more Starks. Maybe, maybe he saves Bran or right there you go or Sansa. Yeah, saves Bran. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and you know what I say to that? You know, weak writing. If that's what happens, that's that's <laughs> if we can predict it, it's not good. So all this is to say, I mean, it seems painfully obvious now what the next two episodes are going to be about, right? Like episode Siege. two is just like you know bunker, bunk, bat, yeah. battening down the hatches. And John, and John, so you have the metaphorical uh, struggle to figure out in John's mind, like what do I do with this information about my aunt? And, uh, and maybe you've got, the proposal and you've got everybody else preparing for the arrival. That's right. And then episode three is the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah. And, and 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 meanwhile, the Golden Company is doing what? Do they just sit back and wait? Maybe they maybe they march north and adopt a f- and take a fortified defensive position somewhere around the Reach. Yeah, um, so something like that. Not very interesting. So no real action there unless they can come up with a clever plot twist. But we don't have any on-site enemies for Cersei, do we? Nobody in King's Landing who's interesting anymore. Not at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if much of anything will happen in King's Landing in episode two. Yeah. But you know, I will say this: the best thing about Game of Thrones is just when you think you've predicted what's going to happen next. They throw they throw you for a curve, just like this podcast. Boom! Although I actually think this podcast is eminently predictable. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, you were being sarcastic. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, it was very um, sarcastic. All right. Well, we got to go get, make axe throwing preparations. Yes. Tonight, Steve and I are taking a quartet Speaking of, of axes to Urban Axes, which is one of these. Uh, I did not know this was a thing. Yeah, apparently it's a thing. It's it's an axe throwing place. It's BYOB. BYOE, everything. B, yeah, bring your own. Uh, except, except for the axes. Yeah, no, it's beer, beer, cider, and wine only. I thought we were bringing the food too. Uh, no, I meant in terms of no liquor. Oh, yeah. So no hard liquor. You don't want you don't want people too drunk when they're throwing <laughs> axes. And we're apparently going to have about a two and a half hour. Uh, Marathon of axe throwing that involves some amount of training, some amount of skills competition, and then a tournament at the end. And I was just explaining before we started that playing tennis the other day, I think I may have got a little bit of tennis elbow going here. So I may go left-handed. All of which is to say not that that's my excuse for losing, but it's going to be that much greater when I dominate tonight at the axe throwing ambidextrously. I have something to tell you. Yes. I am not left-handed. <laughs> I have something to tell you. I am not left-handed, left-handed either. either. <laughs> Although you know what? It's true in my case. I'm not left-handed. I am left-handed. Explains a lot. <laughs> All right. He is at uh, uh, Mr. Tennis Elbow is at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast. Um, I had fun this week. I don't know about you. No, absolutely. Um, but the Mueller reports are coming. So, you know, speaking of battening down the hatches. We'll, be back be... with the, we'll have something to talk about next week for sure. You think? <laughs> um, See ya. Right. Episode two. Oh, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Stay safe out there. Adios.